Hey everyone, my name is Erin Hughes and this is Episodes to a Healthy You. In this episode, we're talking about the road to recovery post-pandemic, where I'm joined by Alice Carroll, Director for Leadership Development at Ohio Health, and Wendy Larzalier, Senior Consultant for Talent Development and our Leadership Academy. The three of us discussed the leadership learning forums their team launched in 2020. In particular, the most recent edition of that series focuses on acknowledging the impact of COVID-19 on our personal and professional lives to create space for healing. Alice and Wendy also share some tips for managing stress and explain why focusing on your own recovery is not at all selfish. Welcome to the podcast, Alice and Wendy. We are so happy to have you today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. So I had recently come into contact with the Road to Recovery series that you guys have put together and delivered. And for those who are listening who don't really know much about it, can you give us a little bit of a history or like a brief synopsis about what that is and how that came about? Yeah, Wendy, why don't you start us off? Yeah. Okay. So Road to Recovery, those are two of our more recent leadership learning forums. And so more broadly, our leadership learning forum series really started last year. It was one of those things when COVID hit and we had to postpone all of our in-person leader development work. We were talking every day in the Leadership Academy and, and talent development teams who work really closely together about what can we do to support leaders. And the Leadership Learning Forum series was born of just this need to keep working with leaders and support them during this time. So through that, we continued to create content that we thought would be valuable for leaders. We heard a lot of feedback from leaders and what they wanted. And Road to Recovery were just, like I said, two of the more recent sessions that we developed when we hit the one-year anniversary of COVID and started really thinking about what does recovery look like for leaders and for their teams. I like that you immediately jumped into the role of, all right, how can we support our team and our coworkers and our leaders within this organization and kind of just hit the ground running so that nobody really had to flounder and that you had these tools and techniques and tips readily available for them. I think that is amazing. And kudos to you guys for having that forethought way at the beginning. Oh, thanks. You know, we hit pause immediately on all normal business. So it was born out of both the like, hey, what we've been doing will not serve the purpose today. And how can we help? You know, it was a exciting, intense disaster and, and heroism <laughs> all happening at once in the healthcare setting, as you know, and uh, everybody looked for a way to help support and for us, that really meant getting to the leaders. So how do we meet leaders where they are, help them to survive, to stay grounded, to understand what they can control, to support their teams, who in turn were really supporting our patients and our communities. So it was a, the best way we knew to help in a really difficult time. And this series, Road to Recovery, is two parts. And I love that it's two parts because the first one is focusing on you. And then the next is focusing on your team. Can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to frame this series that way? Yeah, I'll start. It was very intentional. I will say that. And one of the things that we learned, so just reminding our audience that Road to Recovery, the two sessions you're talking about are just two of the many 
leadership learning forums that we created. But what we learned through the year of, of delivering these with leaders across the system was how often you know, our leaders are inclined to put others before themselves. They think about their teams a lot and they worry about their teams. And if you're patient facing, you're worrying about your patients. So we decided to focus the first road to recovery session on leaders. And we were very purposeful in that session at the very beginning by giving them that context, you know, letting them know, we know it's not easy to focus on yourself. It's not something that you necessarily do naturally or as a first instinct, but we are asking you to enter this space, putting yourself first. And we want to talk about you because we really believe that you've got to be on your road to recovery or practicing self-care and taking care of yourself in order to help lift up your team and support your team in their own recovery, knowing that we were going to do a focusing on your team session because so much of the response we got from our leaders was wanting support around supporting their team. It's the oxygen mask first. Yes. You know, we, you hear every time you get on an airplane, you are not going to be in a position to help someone else if, if you don't have the oxygen to keep going. Like Wendy said, that is counterintuitive for a lot of leaders. There's the leader sacrifice syndrome. You feel the weight of your team's needs, the weight of what you do to serve your organization, whatever organization that is in support of the ultimate mission. And it's hard to slow down and focus on yourself. It feels like the last thing that you want to do. And in healthcare, you know, we tend to attract people who are compassionate givers, but that's certainly not unique to healthcare. So if we know that you want to take care of your teams and the first step in doing that is taking care of yourself. So I think if we hadn't offered that there was a part to focus on the team, people might not have come to the first session, <laughs> focus on you. Uh, it was like uh, the, the required prerequisite, if you will. And there's a certain level of impatience, like, oh my gosh, I don't, I, just, I can't even think about myself. I just need to do my job and take care of my people. But the capacity that you have to be able to lead is in direct conjunction to how much time you're taking to care and go through your own process first. Even if it weren't the case that it's also so important for leaders to be modeling those behaviors, because that's what really creates a culture where it's permissible, encouraged, and you're in a thriving environment where people are expressing emotions, they are working through grief and anxiety, they are able to talk about what really matters and deal with it in a healthy and productive way. The resilience of the leader has so much to do with the ability of the team to be able to see a hopeful future where they too can feel resilient. I love so much of what you're saying, not only because I think that this creates a really great environment for our leaders and then them to extend that to their team, but I think it's so relatable on just a human level to where sometimes regardless of what your role is, whether you have direct reports or not, people tend to think that taking care of themselves is selfish. And especially if you maybe have family or you are just somebody who's a natural caretaker, it's really difficult to put yourself first. You know, you really can't pour from an empty cup. I don't have a leadership role at Ohio Health in the sense that I have direct reports, but I relate to it because I am also somebody who just wants to take care of people and I have a hard time stepping back and taking care of myself first. Yeah, that's such a good observation and reflection. And at the risk of alienating some people, I would also say that for women, it's particularly difficult, which certainly does not mean that there isn't also a male caregiving experience. But we know in our organization that we're 77% female, right? 
And we know that regardless of leadership role, in many, many women's lives, they play a caregiving role as well. And again, putting yourself first feels really counterintuitive. It can, to your point, feel selfish. Sometimes you just need somebody to tell you, listen, this is what you need to do. And it's not only what's good for you, it's what's good for the people that you're caring for. That actually is a wonderful segue to my next question. It's how do we know that we need to take some time for ourselves, whether it's we are feeling burnout or we have some trauma that we need to address? What does that look like from the outside? I think it's different for everybody, but it's such a great question because I feel like people knew relatively early on when we started this that they felt something, right? Something, it wasn't just that we were going through COVID, but they, what they were feeling or what they were experiencing was off for them. And I will tell you, this was one of the revelations that we had pretty early on. We started doing check-ins at the beginning of our sessions where we would just simply ask. And we did this because we were doing them in our own team calls every day. And I think that's what inspired us to do them at the beginning of our leadership learning forums. So we would just ask, how are you doing right now? Like, how are you showing up for this session? And people would start to share words like overwhelmed, hiding under my desk, exhausted, whatever it might be. And people started being able to put words to what they were feeling and also seeing that there were other people out there who were feeling the same way. And that really created a sense of community for people, but it also gave voice to what they were feeling. So I think some of our sessions even sort of built on some of that, like loneliness, fatigue and burnout, hope and gratitude, even recovery itself, right? Brain fog, Mm -hmm. things like that, that came from this idea of like, okay, we're starting to understand a little bit better how we are feeling and what we're experiencing. And let's give some voice to that and give people a chance to talk about their own specific experience and feel like they're part of something less alone, you know, than they might be if they weren't participating in this session. Have you found that sometimes when people are sharing how they're feeling, or maybe they're sharing something that COVID has taken from them, you said it creates a little bit of community, but do you also find sometimes the opposite to where if I see that somebody has lost someone, they've lost a, a person, does it belittle? Like, oh, I, I didn't I didn't lose that much. Um, mm. They have it worse than me. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, yeah, we have definitely seen that. And actually, it's one of the things that we talk about. I think it was a great ad that Wendy had about comparative suffering. So it's got a name even to say, you know, if someone else's suffering is worse than ours, if if we're judging our suffering as being less than, then we don't feel like we have permission to feel the feelings. So we got a moment where we talked about, but I should be grateful that others had it so much worse. Surely I shouldn't feel sad about. And that really is very real. And as you can imagine, and in a healthcare system, we had people who were on the front lines and dealing with death every day. And we had people who were sent home and feeling like this is hard, but half of our system has it so much worse without even getting into the personal life issues. So being able to say, listen, your, your suffering is your suffering. And the things that have happened to you are real. They're important to you. Nothing is insignificant about them. And you need to grieve them and be able to work through them too, in order for you to move on and be healthy. That is really important. Allowing yourself to grieve without comparative suffering is key to healing and recovery. Yeah, 
I also think, as I'm listening to Alice talk through some of this stuff here today, I think so many messages were delivered as sort of a byproduct of what we were delivering, right? So that message about comparative suffering might have been directed at the person who might be feeling like they didn't suffer as much, but the person who suffered a lot was also hearing that message to have grace and understanding that you didn't have to suffer the same way as they did to feel loss, you know, so it was growth opportunity for those folks as well. And, you know, I, I think, gosh, if this hadn't happened, we would not have been talking about so much of this sort of emotional intelligence type stuff in this way that we had a chance to do this past year. It's really kind of amazing. Alice, would you agree that mm-hmm. we just we just have talked about so much related to the human experience, I guess, right. that is part of leadership that doesn't always make its way into leadership development work. Absolutely. And we used to talk about this and teach it as a discrete area, emotional intelligence. Yes. We know it's key for leaders. Here's your content on emotional intelligence. And (laughs) while we've had some great stuff, it never has it been as good, as real, as relevant, as Mm -hmm. human, as what we've delivered since COVID began. Because really what we're talking about, no matter what, is the emotional intelligence, the emotional experience, the emotional life of humans. But because we're always talking about it in context of something that matters and in light of what it means to be human today, what it means to be a leader today, what it means to be alive in this moment, it has legs and power that it hasn't had before. And we find that we are reiterating some of the same messaging over and over. And that repetition is really is really making a difference because people can hear it when they need to hear it and take from it what they need to. So, Hey, how you're feeling, it's normal, no matter what it is, wherever you're feeling, you're not alone and identifying how you're feeling and getting in touch with it and really feeling it. That's the beginning of whatever process it is. So once you have that awareness, then you can turn around and say, Hey, what do I want to do with this? How do I want to manage it? And those are the beginnings of emotional intelligence, but they're also how you need to cope just to get through Uh the day. I'll say (laughs) I was doing a session, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and it was not a leadership learning forum. It was another session. And a person in the session said, hey, I attended this leadership learning forum on brain fog. And what I know is happening with my team is that we are using our working memory. And she started like talking through how that was impacting her team. And I thought, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) She knows that from participating in that one session and she's right in how she's using it and how it's impacting her team. And I loved it because it gave her this awareness of what's happening with her team and why they might be struggling in some ways that that she was recognizing. And I thought, oh, wow, check for us, you know, like just to put that information out there and let people understand it better and use it. It was great to hear that kind of come full circle back to me in a different session giving people the tools to, one, just kind of understand what's happening with them, what their team might be feeling, and just being able to give things names, like you were saying, that comparative suffering, empowering them, empowering each other, learning how to empower themselves to feel and be able to grieve whatever it is they need to grieve, no matter how small, I think is just so important. And regardless of this pandemic, but just everyday life, that is just so important for the human experience. Yeah. And we get, (laughs) not to toot our own horn, but when we don't, when we don't have new content posted in our 
leadership learning forum space for people to sign up. Alice hears about it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, wait, there's nothing new for me to sign up for, you know? So um, yeah. it's be- become a, something that people really seem to value. Right. It's a community, right? That we've created. And even though it's not the same group every time, it's the container of what to expect, the fact that they can show up and express their authentic emotions and know that it's a safe space and there's no expectation that they have to be on. They're going to leave feeling a sense of community validation and with something, an intention, a tool, or something that's going to help renew them in their life and their leadership practice. So what can we do? Those of us who are leaders by nature or have leadership roles, what can we do to help those around us, whether they're fellow leaders or our team members, to address the impact or at least reflect on themselves to help them realize that maybe they do actually have something that they need to grieve here? I think that's such a great question. Mm-hmm. I, and what I want to start with is, Wendy, I want to talk about what, what our team did a little bit, and then I'll pass it to you and see what you want to add on. But we actually went through these sessions with our own teams, the Leadership Academy and Talent Development teams before launching them. And we've been doing so much you know, in support of the organization and not necessarily taking our own medicine all the time. Hard to believe, right? <laughs> um, but, um, one of our awesome team members, Morgan said, yeah, you know, Hey guys, like I, I would actually really like us to do this. So we went through it as an intact team and we had, I'm going to say more than half of our team say at the beginning, I'm fine. Like, I really don't have anything to work through. Actually, I'm great. It's been a really good year for me. I don't really need to do this. And thankfully everybody's a good sport and <laughs> they were all troopers <laughs> and did it anyway. But I think to the person every individual left with a shift. And I'll speak for myself. Most of us cried going through Mm -hmm. it. And we had one of our teammates who said, I thought I was good. I didn't think I had anything to work through. And I was focused on my daughter and what my daughter had lost. And now I realize how much of that I also lost. I lost it and I need to grieve it. And I've got this to work through before I can really move on. So I think there is something really powerful about going through it, even when you think you don't need it. So there will be people, and you talked about this earlier, Erin, how do you know? And there will be people who know that they're struggling, who know that they're disassociating or they're numbing or they're using self-soothing mechanisms or overreacting to minor triggers, some of those things. But there are other people who have really bought the story that they are okay and don't have anything that they've lost over the last year. And for both audiences, I would start with, and then Wendy, I'll I'll pass it over to you, but I would start with making the space for your team and saying, we're going to slow down and talk about this. And, you know, whatever you're bringing is okay, but let's do this together. And it's important to do that. This is it. This is the agenda. We're going to, we're going to talk about what's happened over the past year, what we've lost, what we need to grieve and how we can support each other. Yeah. I think that experience was powerful for all of us to recognize once we started talking about it, how much we hadn't really dealt with some of the grief that we were experiencing, not even sure we would have called it grief, but realizing that it was. And to Alice's point about leaders and how they might engage their teams, one of the things that we heard, and I think this is not something that our pastoral care team made up, but this idea that to process grief is a step toward healing. And it's much more difficult to heal when you don't stop and reflect on what you've experienced and let yourself grieve for it. We've been talking with a lot of leaders in our nursing organization lately, 
And a lot of them are really focused on a lot of hopes for the future and really moving forward. And I keep thinking about that concept of, I'm sure the desire to move out of this (laughs) is so strong for our nurses. It would be great to stop, just stop for a moment. And to Alice's point, take that time and give your team that space to reflect on what did we just go through? What did it mean for us personally? We had a unique experience both in the Ohio health system, but also in the world, you know, as frontline healthcare workers. Let's just show ourselves some grace in what we may be feeling about this before we just decide to put it behind us and move forward. So I think that's what leaders can do is, is take that time and be okay with where everyone says they are. There are always going to be people who are actually doing just fine, but just allowing for that space to reflect and share and just acknowledge and then say, okay, thank you for that. Not trying to solve anything. Not like, oh, I'm so sorry. You're sad. What can we do to make you happy? You know, just saying it, it's okay. Thanks for sharing that and moving forward. I think that's a really great point to make that just because you share doesn't mean that you necessarily want it fixed or need it fixed or that whoever you're sharing it with can do anything to fix it. But just maybe sometimes getting it off of your chest and being honest and being able to meet somebody where they are is enough of a relief to help start that recovery process of of grieving. Yeah, I love that you brought that into the conversation, Wendy, because I do think that is one thing that sometimes stops leaders from creating the space is the fear that, oh my gosh, somebody is going to say something that I can't fix, or they're going to say something and I'm not going to know how to respond, or what do I do if they start crying? Um, right. I think those are, those are fears <laughs> that people have. You know, I love my team. I want them to be happy and healthy, but oh my gosh, I don't know how to handle this. I do think for the leader modeling and showing up authentically and being willing to show a little bit of their hurt is important. And then I think to underscore that the leader doesn't have to, nor should they be fixing it. We talk a lot about, hey, listen, we really want to be in an adult-adult relationship in every relationship that we're in professionally. And so we don't want to be looking at our team members. If you're a leader, you don't want to be looking at your team members as in a child relationship. I have to take care of them. You want to say, you know, hey, I'm a fully capable adult talking to another fully capable adult and I can be with them. I can ask the question. I can hold the space and I can thank them for sharing. And it's not on me to fix it, to change it, to get to a happy ending. And I'll admit that not getting to a happy ending is a part that I struggle with because I'm good with the not fixing, but gosh, I sure would like to get to a, we're all good at the end of the conversation. And that's something I've had to work on as a leader is being okay with the fact that sometimes it's not going to be okay at the end of the conversation, but eventually it will be okay. So it's been a, a wild ride for sure. The last year or so has been full of ups and downs and I'm sure if you talk to some people, they would say that we are still very much in the trenches of this pandemic, but some people are a little bit more comfortable. They may be less stressed out. A lot of people are getting the vaccine and we're opening things up a little bit more, but I would say that a lot of us are still just as stressed out now as we were a year ago when all of this was just at the very beginning. So my last question is, what tips do you have for working through stress while it's still very much an active stressor? That's a good question. (laughs) I have so many thoughts. 
<laughs> well, start sharing. I will I will follow up if I think uh, there's anything to add after you share, Alice. <laughs> oh, okay. Like my brain, I'll admit, Aaron, my brain went like three different places while you were <laughs> closing the question. So I, I actually want to quote Wendy first. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Correct me if I misquote this, but Wendy had this cool statement that she made. I don't know. I mean, it was a good six months ago, probably. But when we started to see glimmers of hope at saying we all went into this at the same time, but we're all going to be exiting at different times. Mm-hmm. Something along yeah. those lines. Do you want to edit that for me? <laughs> no, it, no, it was good. It was, it, was kind of, it was kind of about like the loneliness of exiting on your own because everyone was going to be ready at different times for different things. Yeah. And I... Yeah. Wendy, I have thought about that. I'm going to say daily since you said it probably Mm -hmm. because it is so tough and everybody's comfort level is different. Everybody's circumstances are different and there isn't that same solidarity of, oh my gosh, we're all, it's just happened. We've all been sent home. The whole world is dealing with this. And part of the reason I think that we're not feeling the relief and we're still feeling the stress is the brain fog. We have a session on brain fog where we talk about the decision fatigue and the fact that you're having to use your working memory for every single thing that you're doing. And that's true now. That's still just as true as we're emerging. So not only do we have the diminished cognitive function because we've been asking our brains to do so much for so long, there is an additive nature to it. But now we're making all of these additional new decisions that are all laden with emotion and judgment and stress and strain. Mm-hmm. So who's ready for what, when, and how do I handle it if, if I don't want to go to the event that other people are ready for? And I no longer feel like I have a valid reason, but I feel the anxiety is real for me. So I think it's very normal and natural to still be in a state of, oh my gosh, I feel like I should be feeling better. And I'm just not. So I think a lot of it to me is the same things that we were saying for addressing brain fog mid pandemic. It's still looking for what's the routine that you can adopt right now that takes the strain of some of those decisions off of you so that you're not making decisions all day, every day. What are the things that you can still say no to? And maybe you don't have to explain yourself. Maybe you can let yourself off the hook for meeting other people's expectations. What is the self-care that you need and how can you unapologetically take the time to do those things? For myself, it continues to be challenging myself to, if I've just written 15 things down on my to-do list, could I actually go back and only do five of them and have it be okay? So those are some of the ways that you can deal with the stress and the strain. But I think that the number one thing is that recognizing that we continue to need grace and compassion and to allow ourselves and those around us to move at their own pace. Wendy, what would you add? You just said so much right there. It was so fabulous. That actually inspires me. Like, as I think about how I'm handling some of this, you know, I feel pretty good about things, but not always. And I also have some friends who are a lot more risk averse than me, who I struggle a little bit with. And I have to remind myself to give them grace and let them be wherever they are in their return to normal, whenever that is and whatever that is. But I think there's also this 
transparency component. Take some of the stress off of yourself by letting others know I'm not ready for the same things that you are. You know, thanks for inviting me or whatever the case may be, or letting your leader know if, if you feel some pressure to participate in a way that doesn't feel right for you right now. And then extending people grace and hoping that you get it on the back end too, I think are are some tips. And I'll always be right there with Alice on the active recovery concept of what are the small things you can keep doing for yourself to reduce that ongoing nagging stress. Because I don't know that it's going to leave us anytime soon. There's still so much that we have to recover from, whether we think we do or not. I love your call out on that brain fog. We are talking internally about decommissioning some of the COVID policies around Ohio Health. I don't know when mm -hmm. it's all going to happen. And just acknowledging, even though it's sort of going back to where we were in some cases before COVID, it's still a, another change that will require like working memory and it will feel like more change, you know? Right. Um, and so let's not underestimate how hard it is to emerge from a pandemic. This is also the first time we've done that, you know, in our lives. Mm -hmm. So just giving ourselves grace, like Alice said, and, and definitely extending it to others, even talking about it, just. We've talked about it as a team. Like Alice said, we've actually had this conversation around how does it feel? And, and it does feel kind of lonely sometimes, you know, but I think that's just the nature of how this is all happening. So let's be really supportive of one another. Yeah, I think that's 100% accurate because even talking with you two today, we didn't get very personal or in detail about what each other have maybe lost or given up since the pandemic kidding but even just hearing that whatever it is that I've lost no matter how small whatever changes I've had to make from my you know pre-pandemic normal that it's it's fine is so comforting to me just on a personal level but also as I'm here at work recording this mm. it just gives me a, a lot of comfort to just talk about it a little bit. So I really hope that everyone listening is getting a little bit of comfort as well, just to hear that everything is valid. Everything that you felt, everything that you're going through and will go through as it relates to this pandemic is 100% valid all of the time and that you don't have to feel guilty for it at all. That's right. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Like I said, I hope everyone has enjoyed this just as much as I have. I've really enjoyed having you guys on today. Yeah, really Thanks, enjoyed Aaron. the conversation. Thanks, yeah. Aaron. Appreciate it. I don't know about you, but I really connected with this discussion. It was so comforting to hear Alice and Wendy explain comparative suffering and reiterate the fact that my losses and grief are real, no matter how they compare to what others might have faced. Moving towards recovery is going to look different for everyone, but finding the courage to be honest with ourselves and those around us is one of the first steps we can take. Hey everyone, it's time for our listener question. If you're new to the podcast, at the end of every episode, we answer a question from one of our listeners. So if you have a question you'd like to hear featured on a future episode, make sure to fill out the survey after listening. Today's question is, what advice do you have for someone just starting their well-being journey? So what would you say to people, Jack? I would say just start with one simple health habit and then build from that. So as exercise physiologists, Aaron and I will have people join the fitness center and they'll come in and talk about 
I'm going to start coming in here five days a week. I'm going to start eating healthier and doing all this, which is all that is great. But the dropout rate is so high when you go from doing nothing to all of a sudden come, trying to come in five days a week, trying to change up all your diet and eating routine. So I suggest just starting with one small thing and working from that. For example, like if you walk three days a week, bump it up to five days a week and then slowly just build habits from that. What about you, Aaron? I would say to not compare yourself to others. I'm sure we've all heard the phrase comparison as a thief of joy. And I think that's so especially true when it comes to wellness and well-being because it all looks so different for everyone. You know, what I might view as being super successful in my well-being journey might just be developing a healthy relationship with food, but maybe somebody else, it might be being able to bench 200 pounds. So I think that people do themselves a real disservice when they compare their well-being journey to someone else's because they aren't all going to look the same. Yeah, really good point. It's so hard to not compare yourself to others, especially in today's world with social media. Yeah, exactly. And I think that wanting to compare yourself to others maybe drives people to want to go all in and start working out five days a week instead of taking it slow and doing things that are a little bit more realistic to them and their lifestyle. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that. All right. Well, that was our listener question for today. We hope that you join us for our next episode, but until then, stay healthy.